you know, I heard a great phrase the other day of comparison is the killer of joy. It's so true because there are no two individuals on this planet who are absolutely identical with the same life trajectory and thoughts and all of this. So why are we comparing? They're two totally different things. Welcome back to episode 15 of Head Right Out. Episode 15, can't believe it. My name is Zoe Langley-Wathen and I talk to resilient women in the hope to inspire you to head out of your comfort zone and do something that pushes you, that pushes your comfort zone boundary beyond what you previously thought you were capable of. It will hopefully make you stronger, more resilient and more able to live a happy and fulfilling life. Now, before we get into today's conversation, I'd just like to recap on last week's little announcement about the Sports Podcast Awards. So as episode 14 landed, so did the news that Head Right Out had been shortlisted. So it'd gone from its nomination to being shortlisted for the Sports Podcast Awards. Really exciting news, but this is where I need your support, please. Thank you so much for everybody who has voted already. It's meant that among the eight contenders in the best urban and adventure category, Head Right Out is currently sitting at rank four. It goes up and down, however, and so I really need your help. If you could hop into sportspodcastawards.com, register with your email to vote, and then go into the categories in the top right-hand section. Choose the best urban and adventure category and click on Head Right Out. And then you hit the red button, which is vote for your favourite. Hopefully, head right out will be your favourite. <laughs> so thank you so much for doing this. Uh, really appreciate it. Now, because this is a longer episode this week, I've decided not to add a head right out moment. So we'll have that to look forward to next week instead. But do please still keep sending them in. I have got a, a very small reserve of head right out moments now that I can start using for future episodes so I, I would like to keep that little reserve topped up so I've always got something to select it would be really great if I can start selecting head right out moments that are relevant to the guest that I'm chatting with you can email me those to zoe at headwriteout.com or just message me on any of the socials so Joe Bradshaw is who we're chatting to today. In 2008, Joe was a business advisor living a very risk-free life. But now, as an expedition leader, outdoor instructor and public speaker, she walks the walk by taking students and adults on adventures here in the UK and all over the world, sharing her passion for the outdoors, as well as talking the talk to schools, groups and businesses. Say yes now and work it out later. That was her late father's mantra, and she encourages others to embrace those words too. This is going to be a superb conversation. It's a little bit longer than normal, but we really dive deep, particularly into the topic of menopause. We talk about the miles that Jo needs to cover in her latest challenges, 
the one that she's aiming for and the one she's previously done. We talk about her relationship with the mountains and we talk about how the menopause has impacted her over the last couple of years. Enough of me chatting. Let's go and hear Joe's conversation with me. Okay, well, today I am so excited to be talking to friend and fellow adventurer of extreme proportions, Joe Bradshaw. This this is so exciting. Joe is a former no-saying, height-hating, risk-averse comfort lover who turned her life around by saying yes just a little bit more often. Standing on top of Everest in 2016, yes, you heard that right, standing on top of Everest, having survived the earthquake in 2015 whilst at Camp One on the mountain. She did wonder how on earth she got there. But Everest is just one chapter in Joe's story and not the whole story. And I'm pleased that she is here to share more of that with us. Welcome, Joe, to Head Right Out. Thank you very much for having me, Zoe. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. Oh, I am. I'm so pleased that you said yes, because I think it must have been 2014 that I came to hear you speak the first time. I travelled all the way from Dorset up to Brecon to come and hear you talk at Cotswold Outdoor. And I was utterly captivated. It, it was probably no more than about 45 minutes of you talking, but you had me and everybody else in that room on the edge of their seats. I had no idea what you had been through to get where you are now or to get where you were then at that point. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot has happened since then. Actually, I think maybe it was 2015. It must have been 2015 that you talked there. So you've done this. You have headed right out yourself you've headed yeah. out of your comfort zone. Can you talk us through how you went from being this person who was fearing heights and being so risk averse to literally standing on top of the world? I know it's all a bit bonkers really and I still feel that someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and go back in your box love. <laughs> but it is, it is my life and it's real and and I need to own it as well because I think we're very good at dumbing down our our achievements and and sort of how far we've come rather than celebrating them in it with a good attitude you know and when I was in my early 30s I had a very regular life and I'm not you know it's everybody's life is different but I was still hoping to have a family um, and I had a good job um, well paid and I was I was single at the time and I was in my office, I think on a Friday afternoon, sort of, you know, doing the whole playing post offices thing, uh, like we do, or used used to do, not anymore. I was just looking for something on the internet for work and up popped this parachute jump for Asthma UK, weirdly. And I just looked at it and thought, well, I have nothing in my life that sort of wows me at the moment. And you know, I had I had a lovely life, great friends, uh, two fabulous dogs, good job, as I said, but it was all very safe. So I thought I'll, I'll, you know, add a little spice into the mix. And I had a terrible fear of heights at the time. The type of fear that if if I was going across a suspension bridge or something, I just wanted to fling myself off it and fly, which obviously is not going to end very well. So I avoided any situation where that would have been an issue. and. So I signed up to do this parachute jump and a good friend of mine who worked at the same company as me 
offered to drive me up to the jump site. Her words were, just in case you can't drive home. (laughs) Great. But I think knowing me as she did, she actually just wanted to make sure I got there because I was, I used to say yes to a lot of things and then say no. So, you know, and it probably would have happened with this parachute jump, you know, even though I'd raised a bit of money through my colleagues in the office, I would have come up with this great excuse of why I couldn't have gone and done it. So she was she was my sort of backstop, really. And and she made sure I got there. And after that jump, you get into the marketing sort of system of the charities. And there's this sort of months golden period after you do a challenge uh, for charity where they want you to come and do another one you're still on a bit of a high you're still chatty about it so they sent me this um this flyer for a bike ride in Peru and I used to cycle a lot as a kid um hadn't been on my bike for ages um never been to Peru um I hadn't camped since I was probably about eight years old even though my parents and I were and my brother were very outdoorsy but not in we, we were sort of more about boats than camping and I had it on my desk at work and Caroline who'd taken me to the jump site came into my office and said oh brilliant so that's the next thing and I came up with this whole ream of excuses of why I couldn't do it you know I didn't didn't have a bike uh I you know how was I going to raise the money how was I going to get fit how was I going to get time you know all of these things that Mm. we naturally when we're scared we naturally come up with these reasons of, you know, no, I can't possibly do that. And my last reason to her is I didn't have the deposit, the money for the deposit. And so she just sort of came in and said, well, that's fine. I'll pay for you and you pay me back an installment. So at that point, I hadn't, I hadn't, she'd just blown everything out of the water. And, and <laughs> she's like, right, you have, you know, we can work on everything else, but I just want you to start, you know, just sign on the dotted line and we'll get going. And it's having friends like that who they really have your back and they push you gently or with quite a bit of a shove at times because they know you are capable of so much more than you give yourself credit. And she clearly saw something in me that I didn't or she just wanted me to get more out of life than I was. And it was after that bike ride in Peru, it led on to another couple of bike rides with the same company, which was Discover Adventure, which are based in Salisbury, where I now live. And it's just the little conversations you have and those little sliding door moments where on the third bike ride, I was just chatting to the leader and saying, how did you get into this? And she said, look, you know, you've got all the right attributes. So send in your CV to Discover Adventure and we could take you on as crew and you can do it in your holidays from work. And I was like, wow, this is just really exciting, you know. So they start you off with London's Barrows trips and you work on up from that. So in 2007, that's exactly what I did. But it was all quite fast-tracked for me at that point because I then got to lead a trek in China. I was supposed to be um, assisting on a bike ride in Vietnam, but they took me off that because somebody had come off China. And they, China's a very simple trek to lead. And I was working with an amazing crew. So all of my logistics experience and work and all my managerial experience and work is very transferable with leading people. And I was working with a mountain leader and we had a doctor with us anyway because it was a charity group. And the Chinese crew are fantastic. So they were like, well, you know, we'll send you out there and give you a go. Because unless you do these things, you're never going to know how you're going to fare. 
and and it went all right amazingly so you <laughs> sound surprised they weren't surprised I was kind of winning it quite a lot of the time you know but I learned so much from Emma who I was working with and I had a group of girl guide leaders there were 40 of them so they're pretty sort of savvy savvy ladies mm. so and China's very simple simple one compared to what I get up to these days so it's all of that you know it was like a, a sort of the perfect trip that I could have started on and they'd also at the time I was talking to the office about moving down to Salisbury and working in the office and running a section of the company so I was just about to give up a really well-paid job I was about to rent out my own house I was about to get rid of my fancy four by four I was about to move all of the things that we think in life we need to obtain and achieve in order to be successful but this success that I had in society's terms wasn't making me happy and it wasn't and I I don't I'm not sure what it was I think because originally when I left school I thought my life was going to be about working with horses and being part of that world and then that ended when I was in my mid-20s and I think I just was really lost in life for about Mm. 10 years even though I did well in business and I worked my work through management and I worked in a few different industries. So I got loads of experience and really good, relevant stuff. When I moved to Discover Adventure at the beginning of 2008, I thought, well, I've got to give this a go and I can always move back. You know, I, I know I'm an employable person. The company that I just left was like, well, if, if it doesn't work out, come back. So it wasn't as if I was cutting everything off. But I'm like, no, I've got to give this a go because if I'm not happy with what I'm doing, I need to go and make and find that happiness from somewhere else. So it was a massive leap of faith, but it, it all worked out. And it, and it wasn't all fantastic roses and, you know, parties and everything. I worked really hard and went through some really difficult times. And, you know, I think when you do that whole big life change, it takes you a while to settle back into you being you. And it, and it certainly did for me. And my dog died and he had cancer, bless him. And so all these sort of big life things. But I sort of settled into working at Discover Adventure. I led a load of trips, did a load of recce, got tons of experience over a two-year period, got my mountain leader. And then beginning of 2010, went freelance. I had no thoughts of ever climbing anything big. My fear of heights was I was learning to manage it because you have to learn to manage it in order to lead people. But it was actually, I found it quite a, a good thing to have had or still have because it made me human to my clients. You know, I wasn't that sort of, oh, yeah, I can do everything type person. So, you know, I used to say to them, I, I had a massive fear of heights and I still manage it really well. But occasionally I'm sort of a bit taken aback and they're like, oh, gosh, you are human. And that's a really nice, it's that vulnerability, I think, is really important. So Um, you do still have moments where that fear of heights comes back to you and affects you. Yeah, because it's not, you know, people say, well, it's like when I say to people, well, you know, climbing Kilimanjaro or I'm scared of heights, but your feet are on the ground the whole time. So it's not the altitude that's an issue for a lot of people. It's more about the exposure. So if you're climbing ladders or going across suspension bridges or you're near near an edge, that is more of the issue rather than the physical height. So I learned ways to manage it. So I, I basically, you know, in my head, I've got this little character. So there's a big foot and there's a this sort of 
gnarly character coming up through a drain hole and I'm just basically and he's fear or she wherever it is fear <laughs> and I, I'm just sort of pushing pushing the lid on my fear so for me it, it works really well and I also use these two characters called positive Polly and negative Nelly and it's not just for heights it's for all sorts of different situations that may be tricky where I need to sort of tap into another part of my psyche that goes, okay, so negative Nelly is having a good old chat with me saying that I'm useless or, you know, this situation's not going to work. And then positive Polly comes in with the sort of rational side of, of life. And occasionally when I'm having a really tough time, whether it's personally or mountains or, you know, when I'm leading, I do flick my left shoulder because Nelly sits on my left shoulder and I do flick them off because oh, it's a physical get out of my head I don't want you in my life because I think fear is a very powerful thing mm. when it's used in the right way and everybody has fears of something so yeah I think it, it's you know when somebody says to me oh yeah I'm I'm always happy and I have no fears it's like oh okay it's <laughs> a bit concerning isn't it really concerning. it is actually yeah because that's just not a natural state for a human no. to be in. You know, hormones and life and rhythms and all sorts of things happen in your life. And if if you suppress all of that, it's going to come out at some point. So, yeah. I think we need those fears as well. Yeah. You know, I, I know I have so many hang-ups, so many fears, and, and I've, I've never been trying to, to squish them. I don't want them mm-hmm. to go completely because that's part of me and who I am. And and as you said, it's what makes the experience even more powerful. Yeah. But I think to learn to face those fears and to mm-hmm. navigate them and manage them, I think, yeah, that's where the magic comes in. Yeah, definitely. And I I went to climb a, an 8,000, so I'm jumping ahead quite a bit here, but I went to climb another 8,000 metre peak in 2013 called Manasalu. And just before I went out there, I read a book written by Rebecca Stevens, who's the first British woman to climb Everest from the south side and all and then subsequently do all the seven summits so that's the highest point on each of the seven continents and she said in her book your eyes are like a camera lens and you focus on what's important and for me on Manuslu that was great and that's been a bit of a game changer in my leadership as well because we got to the first ladder in the icefall on Manuslu I was like oh my god <laughs> and that's where I can remember just being taken back to that fearful moment of oh, I'm just going to die rather than okay how do I do this mm. um, and I remember I just sort of suddenly got this focus of so it's the rungs of the ladder that are going to help me stay upright and not fall off I'm attached to a rope so if I do fall off I'm not going to go far I've got all the right equipment and the people around me to get me out because you work as teams on, on mountains like that and I've got the skill set to do it so it's bringing that I was almost kind of tunnel visioned and it's very true about your eyes are like camera lens and you focus so you can focus at all you know I could have focused at the all those big gaps in between the rungs of the ladder and there's a 300 meter crevasse underneath me and something might fall on my head and I might die (laughs) I get all dramatic about it but actually it really is about keeping it simple and making sure that A, you're not putting yourself or you're not putting others in danger by spending too much time in those areas, but just get on with it. Mm. 
So, and it's, it's having champions in your life. So Caroline was very much a champion in my life when I started in adventure. And then that went on to being a friend of mine called Rolf Eustra, who runs 360 Expeditions, who I now work with, um, and he runs it with his wife, Marnie. And I signed up to do Mirror Peak with 360 in April 2011, when I hit 40. I hit 40 in the March. And I'd already worked with him for Discover Adventure. We did Everest Base Camp. And I remember him standing when we were on Kalapatar, which is a little peak overlooking the Kumbu Ice Fall and the Kumbu Glacier, and you can see Everest. And he was like, um, that's a goal to do the 8,000. And he's an incredibly experienced mountaineer, but it's finding the right clients to, to do these things with. So, and I was like, yeah, whatever, that's just crazy. And, you know, why would you want to do that? And it's expensive. So again, all of these barriers were coming out of, why would I want to do something like that? when probably in me was like, actually, that would be quite cool. So not that I realised it then. So we went and climbed Mirror Peak. And I think he saw something in me again that I didn't see. And he pushed me to go and do other stuff. And it was great for my guiding because it's always good when you're leading expeditions is to remind yourself what it's like to be in a client's shoes and what it's like to have that sort of edge of discomfort which you become very used to. It becomes a very normal state when you're leading trips. Um, so it's very good to sort of push you, push yourself a little bit more. And it was from then on, really, that it all sort of started taking off. So what was the best bit of advice then, do you think, that you've been given by somebody else, apart from what you read mm. in that book? Have you been given advice by a, a mentor, or an instructor, or just somebody, a colleague that you work with about facing fears, about pushing yeah, yourself that, through? Yeah, very much so. So in so I'll transport you to Nepal in 2010 when I was leading Everest Base Camp with Rolf. So we had a group of 30 or so clients. And I was still in the stage of, oh, I'm not sure about these. You know, there's lots of suspension bridges on the way up and on the way back. And underneath the suspension bridges, there's usually raging torrents of a river and or big chasms, you know, and they do wobble around and they don't look particularly safe, although they are very, very safe. And I remember getting to the first one and I was initially quite far up the front. Of, I was just chatting to one of the clients and then I just stopped before we and I was like, go on, go, just everybody go through. And Rolf came up to me, he's like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just, you know, waiting to see if anyone needs a hand going across. He's like, Joe, don't mother people at the very start of an expedition, because if they can't do this bridge, then they've got about five or six others to worry about and the altitude and all this. He was like, don't mother people. Give them a helping hand, definitely. But he, I'm not sure he realised quite how nervous I was at the time. So I was kind of using it as a little bit of a crux. So I was trying to find somebody who was more scared than I was. Yeah. And then it's easier to focus on, you know, them rather than yourself. Fortunately, we had a very capable group of clients and nobody needed a hand. So I just had to put my brave pants on and <laughs> go and do it. But it absolutely, it still resonates these days when I'm doing, whether it's teaching DV or climbing 6,000 metre peaks or what have you with clients. And it is, it's like, give them all the information and then they have to do it. 
and you can help them along and you can be their champion. But if you try and lead them in front and, you know, tell them this step here and that step there, they're they're not going to learn it for themselves. Mm. And that then causes guide dependency. And on mountains, that's a really bad thing. You want people to be independent. I want people to go away from my expeditions with a greater amount of knowledge, A, about what they're capable of, but also technical knowledge. So they can then go out and do it themselves or want to come back and do bigger things, more technical things. So, yeah, it's a, it was a very powerful uh, message. And it was also a powerful message to me is that I don't mother myself. You know, sometimes I just got to suck it up and get on with this. Do it. Yeah, that actually leads quite nicely into like I was going to talk about your expeditions a little bit later, but, Mm -hmm. you know, we can do that now because I'm interested to know why you think, because obviously you've now led so many expeditions and you've you've seen the transitions or not transitions, the transformations that happen for people. You know, there's there's obviously a great deal of benefit to people. But why why do you think then that women in particular seem so hesitant and so scared Mm. to adventure what's your take on that I think it's adventure is seen it's a very white middle class male dominated scene Mm. Um, and it's definitely changing which is great but I think if you're not a particularly confident individual or you've always been told that it's not for you or you know that side of things then you start believing that you know it's like why would I go and do something when someone's just going to tell me that I'm useless at it. You know, it's that it's that horrible perception of yourself that is so unfair to yourself to keep telling you that stuff, yourself that stuff, unless you just go and give it a go, you know, and you might find you don't like it and that's fine, mm-hmm. but you've done, gone and done it. It's like anything, isn't it? It's learning a language or learning how to dance. You're making yourself vulnerable and that's quite a hard space to be in. Because it opens yourself up to taking advice or people telling you that things that you may or may not want to hear or getting it's the whole comfort zone thing. And I think it's I I actually had one lady on a trip who had been led by a gentleman who's absolutely amazing leader, a very good friend of mine. So when I was then leading her next trip, she said, well, I'm not sure I want to come with you because you're female. and I don't know you. I was like, okay, well, firstly, you have no choice. If you want to do this trip, I'm leading it. So it was for a big charity and that was the way it is. So, and I said, you may actually learn new things from me. You know, you've been put in a very good place by Dave and he's taught you a lot, but you can always learn new things. And I may have a slightly different style. So you may actually get out of it something completely different because Dave was her comfort zone. You know, she knew how he worked. She knew what he was up to. And and I wasn't, she didn't know quite how I was going to be. And she absolutely flew on the, on the expedition, you know, because she then opened herself up to this whole new way of learning. And I think that's so important. You're not coming on an expedition with me for me to be at the front saying, come on, follow me. I don't work like that. I lead from the back so I can see what's going on up front. I can see, you can tell from the back of somebody how they are you know whether they're walking tall and striding out or whether they're a little bit hunched and a bit slow you can tell a lot a lot from a group by just seeing them from the back and for her I think it was 
it was putting her in a very vulnerable position that she maybe didn't want to be in. I think if people are very much, I think as women and particularly those who've had kids as well, you're very in control of everything that goes on in your life. Whereas on an expedition, we kind of strip that away from you. And it's quite a hard space to be in. I give you all the information. You need to get up in the morning, pack your kit, have breakfast, and we'll go for a walk. And it's as simple as that. Listen to the advice I give you. The rest will take care of itself. But I think for some, it's quite hard to get into that space. And and again, fear of failure and everything. But unless you give things a go and you do fail at things occasionally, you're not going to learn and you're not going to grow. Oh, yeah, I absolutely give Mm -hmm. that. I mean, that's what I say to my students all the time. That's what I've been, the message I've been trying to deliver for 10 years. And Mm -hmm. yeah, don't risk failing, just just give it a go. And actually going wrong, doing things wrong, we need to be able to do that in order to be able to learn. So so can you describe a, a moment then or a person's situation where you have really witnessed that transformation, that benefit that somebody, you know, maybe somebody started off, mm. you know, feeling very limited and very unable. I don't know. Mm. What, do you have something that you can recount for us? Yeah, I mean, I'm very fortunate because I do have quite a few clients that do come on trips regularly with me which is a lovely place to be and they go off and do other things with other people but it it just so happens that they what I have been doing like Kilimanjaro is a great starting point and then maybe they wanted to go to Nepal and do I don't know 6,000 feet to peak there and then maybe they wanted to go to Elbrus and try something else in Russia and then maybe Aconcagua so you see this you see them from the start on Kili they've probably done maybe camped as a kid they've never been in a group situation they never had to be in the cold for seven days or altitude so all of these things adding on adding on it's quite a difficult place to be but they come away from it with a sort of it's not an inflated attitude or arrogance but it's just a feeling of self-worth whether they've summited the mountain or not they've achieved something they never thought they could so then they're like oh I wonder what's next and it's pretty much what happened to me well if I can do that so what else am I capable of? And, you know, you may go out to Nepal, so it's a three-week expedition rather than 10 days. You're in tea houses, uh, you're cold more often, you're higher a lot more. We then stick crampons on your feet. <laughs> so you're like, oh, it's a bit different. A bit different, but teach you all the skills you need to know before we actually go on to the, onto the proper stuff. And... Again, whether it's success, I mean, it's success or failure is a very different thing. Because when I went and did Mirror Peak in 2011, we couldn't reach the summit. We got 200 metres below the summit and that was our that was our top because there was a big crevasse blocking our route. And, and at the time, no nobody had ladders for us to go over. And we weren't set up for that type of extra technical terrain anyway. So, yeah, 6,276 metres is where we got. And to me, that was a, a massive success. You know, I I'd managed to get up there and we got all the way back without injury, without any major issues. So to me, it was a successful expedition, whereas to other people, it's like, but you didn't stand on the summit. It's like, That's not the point. It's not about <laughs> that, is it? Yeah. My whole three-week expedition isn't about one five-minute moment. No. You know, and I, I've had clients like that before where, they're so focused on that one point, that one moment in time, they forget to 
enjoy and to grow from the whole experience. And I understand that when you're, you know, you're spending a lot of money on an expedition, it's a trip of a lifetime and you do all the training and you get all the kit and everything. And then it, you don't hit that goal. It's, it can be disappointing, but I always say to my clients to begin with is that the summit is not guaranteed. And I definitely saw that in Everest 2015, you know, the summit is definitely not guaranteed, but I guarantee you will come out of here with some amazing memories and having met some amazing people. So you, it's really interesting seeing people progress up through the mountains, depending on what they want to do. Sometimes they take a little step back and go, oh, I wonder if I can do this. And it's like, well, put into place everything you've done before, because it's the same stuff. You're, you're walking, whether you're walking with crampons on or you're walking with your normal walking boots, you're still putting one foot in front of the other. It is that simple. You know, don't complicate it um, because then it makes everything too much. And for me, I'm just just thinking about the next step. That's all I'm thinking about. But it's fantastic to see clients progress and then they come back on another expedition and they're not the newbie and they've got a bit of experience so they can help anyone else that's had that, uh, who is maybe new to the company or new to the trip or new to me. So, Oh, that yeah. must be really rewarding. To oh, hugely. Yeah. yeah, and I yeah. missed it so much during lockdown and even teaching DV because, you, you know, I spend a lot of my summer months, spring and summer months, with Duke of Edinburgh groups and you get them as sort of these raw individuals when they're 14 doing bronze because their mum and dad have told them they have to do it and they've got kit that doesn't fit and the rucksack's too big and they bring all sorts of things they needn't have done it's just knowledge and then you see them through to gold and they're these of amazingly independent individuals who have now got all the right have all the right kit and they're like yeah we've got this and it is just amazing to watch and be part of. And, you know, the, the individuals you have from the beginning of an expedition to the end are completely different. So, yeah, it's so rewarding. And it's, so it's empowering for you as well as yeah. being empowering for them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much. And I learn every, I learn so much on every expedition, a little bit more about human psychology, you know, and I've done a huge amount of expeditions and you get to understand what what makes people tick or how to deal with situations but there's always going to be stuff that crops up that you're thinking okay so which you know which door am I going to open to make this one work and people are fascinated they're fascinating you know I'm very fascinated by people and I like hearing their stories and what makes them tick and you know everybody has a story to tell whether they think they have or haven't they everybody has has a story to tell yes I absolutely believe that you know, with Head Right Out, I, I want to talk to people like yourself because you've been at the beginning of the transition from going from the risk averse, what were you, business hmm. business advisor, weren't you? I think. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. And height hating to where you are now. You know, I want to talk to people like yourself. I want to talk to people also who have witnessed or not witnessed, sorry, experienced just stepping out on their first five mile run yeah you know yeah. because because that is somebody else's Everest isn't it yes yeah, absolutely it's not mm. just about the biggest and the best challenge mm. um the longest the the most challenging mm. some it's it's just so challenging yes getting yeah. out of bed in the morning just stepping outside that front exactly. door just going and doing something on their own yeah 
and yeah and I, I hear it a lot you know oh well I haven't done as much as you have but I've done this it's like you know I heard a great phrase the other day of comparison is the killer of joy and it's so true because there are people in you know the world that I operate in sort of mountaineers and expedition guides and everything who have done so much more than me and will always have done more than me but then there are people that maybe not so interested in what I'm up to but love doing desert treks and all of that sort of stuff and I you just there are no two individuals on this planet who are absolutely identical with the same life trajectory and thoughts and all of this so why are we comparing why why would I compare my expedition to somebody who's rode the Atlantic or crossed Antarctica so they're, they're two totally different things mm. you know or yeah or jobs or families or anything so oh, that, yeah. that's an incredible saying there so could, yeah. would you like to just repeat it again just so that it really yeah. sinks in <laughs> no, uh, comparison is the killer of joy yeah yeah that yeah. Some, somebody else said a comparison is the thief of joy which actually is whichever way you want to hold it and take it it's definitely there because you you hear it quite often you know it's it's like story top trumps and I hear it on expeditions and people are having a conversation about something and then well I've done this well that's mm. nothing I've done that and it's like oh gosh <laughs> don't <laughs> like go that there moment you know I may have climbed Everest that's just one tiny bit of my life I mean it's quite a big bit but you know it's not it doesn't define who I am no. I've done lots of other things you know on my birthday I ran 30 nearly 30 miles on my 50th in March this year I've never run 30 miles in my life before I've never even run a marathon so I was so excited about that and someone said well you've climbed everything like this you can't compare them it doesn't there's no comparison whatsoever and actually my mile an hour on the hour for every hour for 24 hours was at the point my Everest because it was blooming hard (laughs) I was gonna say I bet that was absolutely exhausting and and the the mind that takes a completely different mindset again as well doesn't it you know maybe you're part way through sleeping and you've got to get up you've got to go and walk a mile yeah oh I didn't sleep you didn't, no, sleep. I made, oh. no, I didn't sleep. No, I made sure I didn't sleep. And and it was very much, I was very keen to once again put myself into that uncomfortable mode. I think for me as an expedition leader is that I need to remind myself what it's like to be in that zone. So when I'm on Kelly next and we're doing summit night and others are, are, are definitely in that uncomfortable zone, it's I do remember what it's like to be there. Mm. because you can easily forget and I've climbed Killy so many times now that it's you know second nature but summit night is really hard (laughs) I still find it hard there's a lot going on for me mentally there's there's a huge amount going on even if everybody's just nicely in a line you know shit can happen really quickly yeah and also it's physically it's a tough climb so yeah you you need to remind yourself what uncomfortable feels like because yeah. it's it's nice when you're not there, but it, it's a good thing to do. Yeah, you've got to keep on top of that. Yeah. Mm, okay. I had a question for you then, and it's just exited my head. <laughs> so I think I've, I wanted to talk to you about the, um, your other challenges. Mm. But I also, if it's okay with you, I would 
love to just find out how navigating your late 40s and mm. now 50, because you're, you're the same age as me. Yeah. We are just weeks apart our mm. birthdays. So, yeah, I'm just interested to know how you've been navigating that as well, because that's been a whole new challenge, hasn't it? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, so challenges, challenges in terms of expeditions, other expeditions, mm. or your own fundraising challenges. What's been going on there? So in, oh, when was it? 2014, when Everest became a thing in my life, I then started, I was very fortunate to gain a sponsor and he then allowed me, he not allowed me, but he said, you know, go and fundraise for a children's mental health charity place to be. And it was a no brainer for me. You know, mental health is such an important part of our lives and to be able to support charity that does that for kids in more vulnerable positions than myself is super important as well and it gave me a very different focus so it meant that the climb wasn't just about me and what I was doing it's about a much bigger picture Mm. and I also took six Duke of Edinburgh gold students with me so they trekked to Everest base camp and then they climbed Low East which is a 6,000 meter peak with us and then fortunately they went back before the earthquake struck so thank god for that <laughs> they were safely at home by a few days and then you know so that was sort of my early 40s and then moving into sort of the Everest and what came after that and then my father passed away four years ago in 2017 and I think that coincided with perimenopause so the last four years have just been a whole host of mixed emotions uh grief which is a very hard thing to get a handle on Mm. and I think my grief was masked or by the perimenopause or actually the perimenopause was masked by my grief and I wasn't really understanding what was going on I I knew that I was I was changing and and feeling different things and I wasn't sure I thought it was grief because I think we get to sort of late 40s and I know the menopause can hit many women earlier than that but we get to the late 40s it's not going to happen to me Mm. of course it is yeah and then when I hit 50 this year I'm like I need to do something about this now and uh, HRT has saved my life really so but in amongst all of that obviously we've had the last two years of COVID and I was a Tesco delivery driver for 11 months from the first beginning of first lockdown and we you layer all of that up and you just think wow it's been it's been a few years you know it's it's been a full-on few years and trying to be everything to everyone else when you're in the depths of despair yourself is blooming hard and I used to get back from expeditions before COVID hit and I'd be wiped out for about a week you know Mm. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. This can't be age related. It's and I just couldn't really put the whole jigsaw puzzle together. And now that I have, it's like that is why I forgot how to tie a knot on Vincent. You know, the two years ago. That is why I'm getting words. That's why the fatigue is so bad, and it's all all of that side of stuff. So, how yeah. did you make that connection, Joe? What, um, what was it that suddenly made you go, "Oh, that's yeah. what it is." So the beginning of this year, I think my menopause symptoms kind of ramped up quite a bit. And I was getting, I've had migraines for a very long time since my late teens, but I had sort of two or three very bad ones a year, but this was coming much more, you know, every two or three weeks. I was thinking this is not normal. Mm. The fatigue was unbelievable. 
and when you you're tired and it's not just a bad night's sleep because also the menopause causes sleep problems so you don't want to exercise you're really tired your appetite goes up because your hormone level change so your hunger response is not kept in check by hormones that that used to do it and your feeling full response is also out of whack so then you put on weight (laughs) then you don't feel like exercising anymore and then you feel rubbish about yourself Mm. pretty much and then you know tinnitus and forgetfulness brain fog unbelievable anxiety all of those things together and I just thought and I had a phone call from a, a doctor just before my 50th birthday in March talking about something and I said to her about these these symptoms because I because I now know my mum started going through peri at 45 so it would make sense and and the doctor who was a young doctor she she said but you're too young so I'm 50 <laughs> but the average age is 51 and I can hear people shouting at the podcast at the moment as which I nearly shouted at her and said 50 is part of the average of 51. You know, that's quite, it's quite a wide average, that. Yes. And I wasn't, she wasn't my normal doctor, who I know very well. I've done expeditions with her before. And um, she knows how I tick. And so I then requested to speak to my regular doctor, who just said, come in, we'll have a chat about it. And then if we need to put you on HRT, we can. And in the summer... I went on HRT and I felt like I've been living in a fog or a temperature inversion for about the last four years. Wow. And then this fog has slowed, I've been managed to get my head above it and see the sunlight. And my energy levels have gradually increased. My appetite has decreased, thank God. I'm eating better. I've given up alcohol. I've practically given up caffeine. I don't eat much meat anymore because I couldn't afford it during the first lockdown anyway. So I've kind of carried that on. But I think all these little things have given me my life back. And I I absolutely put it down to HRT. And I know it doesn't work for everybody. And it does take a while to get the levels right. And it's not going to be, you know, a catch-all. All my symptoms are gone. My tinnitus is quite hideous. Mm. Especially when I'm tired, I just have this sort of high pitch ringing in my ears. For what it gets like worse when when you're upset potentially as well, does yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I, stress, yeah. Um, definitely tiredness. You know, all of those those feelings. But it, it's my energy and my brain function which I've seen the most improvement. And I do f- still forget words. I had a compass in my hand not so long ago. I forgot the word for it. <laughs> but I make a joke out of it now not a joke but I'm like oh yeah it's my menopause and I was in Saudi the end of November and we were doing some sort of maths type stuff and I'm it was with a leadership course with and I was a facilitator before the students arrived we tested out all of the all of the tasks and the the head facilitator said well if you need a calculator for this then you need to go back to school I'm like menopausal my brain just doesn't work like that anymore you know and so I need to find ways to manage it and if it means using a calculator that's what I'm going to do and I'm not going to apologize for it because by I mean he you know he was he's an accountant he was just joking about it but I think it did resonate with him afterwards because he said as a boss and a friend and a colleague 
what can I do to make your life easier? And I said, read up about the menopause. Learn to, you know, sometimes we need to do things in different ways or just give me a little bit more space and time. But get yourself educated, Mm. I think, is the most important thing because it will affect every single man because if they have a woman in their life, whether it's a colleague, a sister, a mum, a grandma, you know, what have you, whoever, whoever, they will go through the menopause at some point in their life. And every woman has different levels of symptoms. Some, it's like having periods, isn't it? Some women have a fabulous you know, time in their life where they're having periods and they're all regular and it's all nice and light and fantastic. Whereas others, it's just pure hell. And that's the same with the menopause. You know, everybody has a different range of symptoms, different severity of symptoms. Some are very, very mild, whereas others are extreme. And I I wrote a blog about it back in the summer. And I had some really interesting comments, particularly from men, is like, I never realised brain fog was that we always thought oh it's just getting old or tinnitus which can be very distracting or you know for me I never realized that your hunger and your fullness responses are that much dictated by the hormone levels in your body which are changing because of menopause and it means that your body fat then comes up more around your stomach and it's understanding all of this stuff. And then when I read up about it, I was like, oh, that's why I'm feeling like this. So I then I'm in a position to know how to deal with it. So, yeah. Reading reading up on it has just been like a light bulb moment for yeah. me. It was, it was talking to a couple of friends who were going through similar situations to me mm. and who had done more homework than I had. Mm. And yeah, they put me onto some books. And so I bought the audio versions of those books. So I've been listening yeah. to those whilst I've been driving and just shouting at the stereo. Yes. Going, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's just been. Oh. Yeah. So I, my situation is I picked up a prescription last week after a telephone consultation with my GP the week before, picked up a prescription last week for HRT. And I, I actually said to her, is, is that it? I mean, I thought you were going to make me wait for months before. And she said, no, no, this I, you're, yeah. everything you're describing is mm-hmm. sounding like you, you need some support. I haven't started that yet. So that was five days ago. And I'm still sat with this bag thinking, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? Can't. Start it. Start it. Yes. Start. Because if it doesn't work for you, at least you know. Yeah. Uh, but if it does work, it can be a game changer. Yeah. 100%. I, I think I think my biggest I mean I have I'm not getting mood swing swings or mm. anything like that getting all sorts of symptoms but my biggest mm. symptom I would say is probably joint pain yeah. and there there are yeah. times where I, my hips I can hardly move and yeah. I'm thinking this is ridiculous I'm walking along the canal you know it's flat mm. <laughs> and just 6 months ago I was walking up and down you know the hills and the mountains around us and and I don't feel like I can do it now and I'm thinking this yeah. is ridiculous this yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking it, yeah. forward to doing it but there's a little bit of reticence there for me as well about oh should I be doing this but yeah definitely do it I mean it's you're not drugging yourself up you're replacing hormones that are starting to disappear and it can just you know for me it I feel like it's given me me back and I think with quite a lot of women they we are not very good at saying piecing stuff together with like oh I'm not feeling too great but this is the reason why you know there's COVID and there's 
maybe someone's died in the family or there's, you know, the kids are at school or blah, blah, blah. So we're, we're very good at saying, well, it's for another reason. But if you're around middle midlife, there's stuff going on. Shit goes on in your body. <laughs> deal with it, just. Deal with it. Yeah, deal with it. Don't. So, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to speaking to you in a month to find out how you're doing. <laughs> and it, it's not, you know, and I, I absolutely say to any woman who's going, oh, I hope it's the same for me. It's not the magic bullet. It's, I still have symptoms, but the symptoms that I do have are much less than they used to be. Mm. Um, my sleep is better. I know that if I do now drink alcohol, I think I had a couple of gins on Saturday night watching Strictly Final. I felt rubbish the next day and it's it's just not worth it. And that was two small gins, you know, so the the effect on my body with alcohol has, and I think also because I haven't drunk for such a long time that that's obviously going to be a bit different. But for me, the energy levels and the lack of joint pain as well. And I'm now training for an Arctic race in March and I have, the will to go training whereas six months ago I would probably be asleep on the sofa most days yeah I wasn't working and it's a miserable place to be because you know I'm just wasting my life and for what reason and it was just because my hormones were completely shot so yeah okay yeah, I will I, message received loud yes. and clear <laughs> <laughs> very enthusiastic about it because I've been there you know I am there and I think if I was not as strong a personality as you know with this first doctor who said oh no it's very bizarre very strange and I had and I hadn't pursued it or if maybe another doctor tries to put me on antidepressants which a lot of doctors do which is not the answer because that's not the cause of the problem you know the symptoms are very wide ranging and but when you do put them all together it does add up to something and I'm not that sort of person that googles everything and goes oh yeah I've got this that and the other but knowing that I had tinnitus knowing that I had poor sleep the brain fog the forgetfulness cold sweats never knew they were something as well as hot flushes joint pain you know all of this stuff it's they're not one-off symptoms to be treated individually there's a reason that all of that is happening and yeah I'm looking forward to getting my life back again. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will go and sit with the bag. And I think yeah. also what put me off was I, I, I read all the contraindications when I first picked up the uh, prescription mm. and it literally opened out yeah. this leaflet and was a meter long uh, for yeah. both for both boxes that I had and mm-hmm. they were a meter long I'm thinking really but yeah. I thought no okay it says I've got to read it so I read everything mm. and yeah Anyway, I'm not going to let that put me off because I know that the risks are very minimal and it really does tell you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the trouble is it's been rammed down our throats for such a long time that HRT is a bad thing, Mm. but it's not, you know, and I've spoken to so many doctors now and so many experts and people in the know and they're like, we need to get rid of that thinking that HRT is a bad thing and it causes all these issues because it can be life-changing yeah and the majority of people it is life-changing and there are no side effects but there are all sorry somebody's just come to the door (laughs) it's all right (laughs) so there are always going to be it's like when you take paracetamol you know for some people it may not work but for the majority it does so 
it's finding what works for you isn't it it does absolutely and also the doctor has prescribed it to you for a very good reason Mm. and it's you know it's not like you're taking it just for a jolly it's like if it can work then brilliant Brilliant. so yeah go for it okay well we're coming to the end (laughs) towards the end there with I'm, i'm so pleased actually and i'm so grateful that we've had that conversation so thank you joe yeah yeah definitely but yeah so we're coming towards the end there's there's a couple of things one Mm. was would you like to just talk us through your big challenge that you've been working on for the last few years your Mm. seven summits we haven't we've touched on it here and there but we haven't actually really clarified what that is for the listeners sure so the seven summits is the highest mountain on each of the seven continents and it was never going to be a thing for me, like all of this. It was never a thing, but until really after Everest. So before Everest, I climbed Kilimanjaro through work. So I guide on the mountain quite a lot. I had climbed Aconcagua, summited on a personal trip, and then I've been back twice working on the mountain. And then after Everest won the earthquake version, I went to Russia to climb Elbrus because I needed to get back on a mountain and Rolf had a group there and it just seemed, you know, the right thing to, you know, go back to be in my happy place on the mountain. And it wasn't because it was one of the seven summits. It just happened to fit in with the schedules and everything. So after the earthquake Everest, I was very fortunate to go back the following year and summit, which was great. And then my sponsor, who had been part of the whole Everest journey, said, well, I want you to continue fundraising profile of the charity. So, you know, write me a proposal as to what we can do next. And at that time, I'd climbed four of the seven summits. So it seemed a natural progression to then try and finish the last three. And it's not easy (laughs) just to make it sound, yeah, I'll just, you know, pop off to Alaska and Antarctica and and Indonesia and go and climb the others. But it's, it's never straightforward. So... I went in June to 2017, I went out to Alaska and climbed Denali, um, which was an incredible expedition. We had a great team and you pull a heavy sled or a polk and you carry a big rucksack so, and everything is self-supported. So it's you and the team and the mountain. And I loved that style of expedition. You know, it was very, I felt like I really earned my summit on that because I'd pulled all of my stuff and and the teams and so, yeah, it was fantastic. And then, uh, like I said, my father passed away at the end of 2017. And then my sponsor pulled out at the beginning of 2018. And I just like, OK, I have to I have to draw a line under this. I had two mountains to go and Vincent in Antarctica is very expensive. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm not in the right headspace to fundraise for that mountain in 2018. So I, I took a year off from fundraising and from my challenges and just got on with work and beginning of 2019 I kicked it all off again and set up this fundraising project called Joe's 9090 where I was hoping to raise 90,000 pounds of which at least 60 or 70 percent would go to the charity place to be and then the rest was used for the expedition because I wasn't going to raise the money for the charity in such a great volume without doing something hard you know people don't just suddenly give you loads of money for no reason so that all kicked off tried to go to Indonesia September 2019 and 24 hours before we were due to fly out Carsten's pyramid was closed due to civil unrest (laughs) I was like okay that's fine 
and then we were due to reschedule it for the beginning of 2020. Um, in the meantime, I had raised enough money, but also put a whacking great amount of money on credit cards for Vincent, which I don't recommend, but sometimes you've just got to take a bit of a punt and go for it. So I went out to Vincent with huge debts hanging around thinking, I, this is my only chance to do this mountain. And fortunately, we had a great weather window and we summited on the 27th of December and it was just incredible. And then we were due to go to Carstens, which would have been number seven, uh, beginning of March 2020. And it wasn't COVID that stopped us going, although it, it has done since, but the mountain was closed again due to civil unrest that kicked off again. So the expedition is paid for. Number seven is still there. When we will get there, and I say we, I'm going with four other friends who are all climbers. When we will get there, God only knows. In the meantime, so my fundraising has quietened off because the type of fundraising I do is all connected around doing the mountains. But I've raised over 45,000 for the charity. So I'm really proud of that. And also made people aware of what place to be do. So as soon as we get the nod to fly out to Indonesia, it will be all over my social media, trust me. Oh, that is so exciting. Yeah, so I don't know when it's going to happen. You know, still in touch with our agent and he's still, I mean, he hasn't worked since September 2019, you know, doing castings. And obviously it's difficult during COVID because it's there's no support from that there. So we're still in touch with him and... It will happen when it happens. It, exactly. And I'm very much of, you know, case sarah, sarah. It What will be, will be. It will happen at some point. It may be in the next 10 years. <laughs> it may be sooner than that. But I have, it was very important to me to pay off my Vincent debt. Yeah. And unfortunately, my granny passed away just before COVID hit in the beginning of 2020. And the inheritance for her has managed to clear that debt, which now means I can go and do other stuff. So I wasn't, I didn't, it didn't feel right to, for me to go and do other expeditions with that debt and me asking people to help me pay for that. So I'm yeah, I understand to, that. yeah, Swedish Lapland in beginning of March, fingers crossed, to do a 185 kilometer four day snowshoe race with a friend of mine who's 71. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I know. So, and he's, you know, he's the oldest Brit to have climbed any 8,000 or he climbed Choryu um, in Tibet when he was 69. So, yeah, just amazing. It's amazing what you can do when you put your mind to it. Yeah. Fabulous. Oh, Joe. Well, this has been absolutely incredible. I feel like I've been on this whirlwind <laughs> roller coaster sort of journey with you. And yeah, and I'm sure you know, the Head Rise Out listeners will feel that too. But there's one last question. And okay. this is the one that I ask all of my guests. Is there a Head right Out moment that you can recount for us? Something where you have pushed yourself out of your comfort zone and you, you really didn't think you were able to do this, but mm-hmm. you managed it and you came back and you benefited from it. And it might be something that you've already talked about, but do you um, have a, a Joe's head right out moment? Head right out moment. I think probably it was when I started my little project, Move Mile Monday, when I, which was the 30 miles on my birthday in March. And then a couple of months later, I did the same thing, but on a bike. So I did loops of 15 or 12 miles 
had a 20 minute break and then did another loop down in the new forest. And I did that over a 24 hour period. And I did get three hours sleep on that because trying to bike whilst you're tired in the dark is just ridiculous. So it was too dangerous. Death wish. And I, <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, very much so. And I ended up doing 195 miles. And I've done a lot of cycling in my time, but never more than 100 miles. So for me to do 195, I was like, oh, I can do that as well. So, and it all adds to the bank of, you know, I can. So for when I'm, so when I signed up to do this Arctic race, and I'm used to pulling a sled in cold environments, but I'm used to, then having a lovely sleep after it yeah. <laughs> and the Lapland one is not going to be like that you know we probably have three or four hours sleep a night because we're on a time frame and we have to finish before the 96 hours is up and that for me the race isn't to beat anyone else it's literally to get in within the time because it's something new to me um I have most of the kit but some of it I never used before because it's just a different environment it's non-mountainous it's you know, walking your snowshoes for hours on end. So that's yeah. gonna that's gonna push you as well. That's gonna push me hundred yeah. percent. And even, you know, I'm the training I'm doing for it at the moment is I'm pulling a tire uh, around the new forest in various places around Salisbury. And I'm ever increasing my mileage. So I'm now over the mileage that I've ever done before with a tire. So I'm in brand new territory now and it's like, oh I wonder, you know, I'm gonna have to keep pushing this because that's what the race dictates for yeah. fitness so but that must feel good as well so yeah that, it feels yeah, great yeah. It feels will you come great. back and talk talk to us about that on a, yeah. another episode yeah, okay brilliant well joe i'm sorry we've got to wrap this up but thank no, you no, so no. much this no, has no. been incredible and i just i love chatting to you and you know i know that every time we meet i could chat to you for hours <laughs> <laughs> But, but thank you so much and thank you for your honesty as well and just yeah really giving us an insight into mm-hmm. some of those deeper psychological yeah. things that go on with fear and with the perimenopause mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely. definitely is there anything joe that you would like to mention that you haven't had the chance or the opportunity um, to talk about no i i, I think i've talked enough okay. <laughs> i think you know for me and the menopause side of things, I think talking about it is really important. I have a few friends who definitely turned off by the subject and and have sort of drifted away. And that's fine. It's just, if it's not for them, it's not for them. And I'm not going to hold it against them, but it's not my favourite subject in the world. But when it does come up, I think it's important to talk about it Mm. to the right people. And it was actually, I was doing a business walk and talk and I mentioned it because my doctor had just rung me about something and this guy who was one of the clients said well actually I read a book because I wanted to learn about what my wife was going through and he recommended me this book called Men Apocalypse which is not an easy one to say (laughs) Uh, and for me it was a game changer you know so to get that advice from a gentleman because he wanted to support his wife it was brilliant so mm. yeah don't be afraid to talk about it not everybody is going to love what you want to say or hear what of what what they hear see this is where the, the words I know what you mean and I think everybody else will know what you mean <laughs> no, even six months ago I wouldn't have been able to do this podcast because I couldn't string a sentence together so go and get go and get support talk to the right people keep banging on about it if you know, your doctors are saying, no, you're too young when you're not. Because it can start a lot earlier in life. I had a blood test in the end, which confirms 
the hormone yeah. levels in my body. And that for me was such a relief. And the lady on the phone at the doctor's surgery said, yeah, you're not going mad. Don't worry. Oh. You know, and to hear that was just lovely. So it then put it all in perspective. Yeah. So yeah, to the ladies and the gentlemen out there, go and do some research and go and get some more support. So get your kids to read about it, you know, make sure people are aware and and not to be so hard on yourselves. You know, it's something we're all going to go through and we've, we've got to get each other's backs on this. So Brilliant. Yeah, great message. Thank you. Joe. where can we find you? On the internet. So I have a great website, joebradshaw.co.uk. I'm on Facebook as Joe Bradshaw and Instagram as at underscore Joe Bradshaw and on LinkedIn as Joe Bradshaw as well. I'm not on Twitter. It's too shabby for me. <laughs> <laughs> fair. That's fair enough. Yeah. Joe Bradshaw, thank you so much for coming on Head Right Out. And I'm looking forward to us chatting again. Yeah. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much for having me, though. So much advice. Wow. And Joe really did inspire me to go and take my HRT tablet that night. Uh, off air, once we had stopped recording, she just said to me, Zoe, really, you must start taking your HRT. Go and do it. And so I did. And I've been on it for, it's a month. It's exactly a month, I think, since we, we, since we chatted. So if you would like to go and find out more about Joe, I will put all of those links in the show notes. Now, I have two little things to say before I wrap up for this episode. The first is to wish Joe so much love and so much healing for her beautiful dog, Lily. Lily has been really poorly and actually she almost lost Lily right around Christmas time. And as a result, Joe has had to make the big decision of staying home and not going to lead the expedition that she was going to be leading on Killy. Her duty of care to Lily has come first and I respect Jo massively for making that decision. It can't have been easy, but we do. We wish Lily well and we wish Jo well. The other thing is something I wanted to share with Jo when I spoke to her just before Christmas and I didn't and I'm not sure why. I think, I know this sounds crazy, but I think I forgot and that's my perimenopause brain, but I actually raised some money myself when I did the Scary Skydive back in December. Previously, sort of 18 months previously, I had been raising money for Joe's Mighty 90. And it wasn't very much, but every little helps. And so I'm delighted to say that I have raised £200 for Joe. So I will be popping that into her Just Giving account uh, in the next few days. Next week, we have an inspiring woman coming to talk to me. Her name is Maria Roberts, and she will be talking about her weight loss journey and her newfound relationship with fitness and the outdoors. It's going to be a fantastic conversation, so I hope you will join us again. Come back next week for more ideas on how you can head right out of your comfort zone. Have a great week. Head right out hugs to you all.